Welcome to the Equipped Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of business and entrepreneurship. Each episode, we will bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs and business owners who are making waves in the marketplace. From sales strategies to marketing innovations, leadership insights, and effective lead generation, this is your go-to source for staying ahead in the business game. Now let's get equipped for success and get to today's episode. Before we get into today's episode of the Equipped Podcast, I want to take this time and give a shout out to our two exclusive sponsors of today's show, Prospects and Mint Leads. Both of these organizations focus on lead generation and getting you qualified leads on your calendar that can convert to new business. And if you are running a business and you are finding yourself constantly in the hunt for growth opportunities... The key often lies in having access to qualified leads, and that's where our sponsors come in. Prospects is a LinkedIn marketing organization that helps you with qualified leads, but then helps you create content that convert. The team at Mint Leads helps you with your emails. They help you get your emails opened and in front of the right people at the right time. If you would like more information about either of these organizations, head over to goprospect.com and schedule a call today. That's G-O-P-R-O-S-P-E-X.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Equipped Podcast. This is your host, Lane Taylor, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have a CEO and co-founder on the show of an organization called Purple Sec. And what they and what he's going to talk about today is all about cybersecurity. Cyber, he says he's a cybersecurity nerd. He says it on his LinkedIn. So I'm going to give him that introduction on here and let him talk more about that. But I'm excited to have these conversations because with his organizations, they automate and combine the vulnerability management and penetration testing processes into the enterprise solution that is cost efficient, freeze time from repetitive tasks. I know you guys and our audience do not like repetitive tasks, and so we're going to talk about that in cybersecurity. And he loves to help enabling the teams that he works with to, do, to be more focused on high-caliber tasks. And so with that, I want to welcome to the Equipped Podcast, Jason Furch. And Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, Lane. Yeah, for sure. Well, give the listeners a little bit. I always like to give just the high level of who we're about to hear from and what we're about to talk about, but give the listeners a little bit about who you are, your background, and what it is you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been in the cybersecurity and and marketing fields for a little over a decade now. Um, Kind of came straight out of, uh, you know, undergrad, grad school, worked for an IT company for a little while. Um, kind of learned a lot of the, my my skill sets and my backgrounds from everything from owning a business, how to run a business, um, to you know, kind of refining my marketing and security skill sets um, to today. Um, you know, primarily uh, what we do at PurpleSec, we're we're very much focused on small and medium sized businesses. Um, they make up the majority of the businesses in the United States and presumably in the world. Um, but one of the things with security is that it's tends to be very hyper-focused on those enterprise level folks. Um, and 
So it, it can be a very complex, nuanced situation to go from having absolutely nothing in security to trying to build out a program and be secure. There's all of these threats out there these days. Um, the bad guys are really looking for an easy payday. We can maybe talk a little bit more about the psychology of how they operate later on. Um, and those small businesses are really underserved market. People really aren't talking about them. There's no real good solutions out there for them to, to really mature their security. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the times it, it kind of gets uh, pushed on to your traditional IT folks who um, may not have the ex experience, the expertise in that area. Um, and so what we do is we try and help them um, every everything from um, kind of developing their program from from zero or maybe they have something in between. Um, we have our our folks come in. Um, you know, we work with a lot of uh, DOD, former DOD trained and experienced um, security professionals who understand, you know, the, the proper way of implementing security um, from from those levels of the government standards. Um, and, you know, we really focus on trying to bring that level of security down into the smaller market who, you know, they don't have tens of thousands of dollars to invest in security. So, you know, we, we try and develop these affordable solutions for them to, to hit their goals. I have so many questions because we do have a lot of <laughs> small business owners and entrepreneurs. And I know security, we talk to cybersecurity, CIOs, CTOs all the time. And I love that this is very focused. We're going to talk about small businesses. I think that's that's powerful and it's going to add a ton of value. Um, a little bit about you though, Jason, like how, where did it come from as far as becoming a founder and CEO? How did you get into this field? Talk about your personal journey just a little bit. Yeah, sure. So, you know, again, my traditional education, I did an undergrad in marketing, got my MBA, you know, the, I kind of saw that sales was the, the path out of undergrad and it wasn't really something that I wanted to do professionally in my career. Um, so I went to my IMBA. Um, that was for me personally and professionally a time of maturity for me. Um, and it kind of opened up my my eyes to, you know, some skill sets that I think in general people kind of have deficits in. So things like critical thinking, you know, taking topics, discussing on them, um, thinking a little outside of the box, you know, finding areas of opportunities. So a lot of fine tuning in that. Um, that did it eventually help me uh, land a job. I moved down to, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. area. I worked for an IT company. So, you know, your traditional managed IT services type of provider. Um, initially, I was hired for marketing. Um, about seven months into that, the role kind of got dissolved just because of the business needs were changing. Um, but out of that, I had the opportunity to work more on the client services side. I eventually moved into an operations manager role. Um, the nice thing about that was it was a, a smaller company at the time. Um, so I got to work directly with the CEO, the CTO, the founders of the organization, um, and had gotten more of that direct clientele experience. So I kind of started to understand how businesses are run. You know, I had a, a hand in helping to run the business and support those activities. Um, and during that time, you know, marketing was still kind of the bug that I had. So uh, I started a, uh, a, a marketing consulting firm focused in the nonprofit space, um, really as a way to, to develop my skills further. So, I mean, outside of that, you can read a lot of blogs, watch a lot of videos and learn that way. But until you start your own website and you start really trying to apply that knowledge set, you, there, there's gaps 
in, in that experience that you get. Um, so from there, uh, fast forward about five years from that, still working the job, have this consultancy side gig, as it were. Um, I, I ended up picking up a Security Plus book for the Security Plus certification. And I started to read through that. And I, was, I just got, again, I got that book. And, um, you know, it turns out a lot of friends in my circle were also cybersecurity practitioners. Um, so I got talking to them and said, hey, we, we, we could do this. You know, th this could be an area of opportunity. I could combine my marketing skills. You can, you can, you know, I can run the, the client side, run the business, do all that stuff. Um, and then um, the other side of it was, you know, actually delivering on the services. So um, I just kind of started that way. And I just applied all of that knowledge set um, to from the marketing side into this business. And just really kind of came at it from an angle that was very community focused. How can I help people learn? How can I help provide really good free resources out there? Um, and that just inevitably led to people wanting to contact us. Um, you know, that, that's where I really started to develop and mature my sales skills. Um, and, you know, speaking with clients and kind of learning that practice, I will say one thing that I did learn throughout this process was the importance of developing, uh, cross skills. So I had a marketing background. I mastered that to the best of my abilities. I dove into cybersecurity and I'm still learning today on that stuff, but, um, you know, it started to find all of these areas, running a business, sales, marketing, web design, all of that stuff. Um, really, it, for anyone that might be struggling in the marketplace, looking for a job or they want to make a career hop, you know, that's something that you can certainly do. Um, but the more skills you can cross train, the more valuable you become in the marketplace. Oh, that's so good. I, I love that. And cross functional of understanding of different disciplines, um, people that have those multidisciplinary and aspects in their tool belt tend to have an advantage in the marketplace. Confer I definitely agree with that one. Um, take us back to when you realized that this was a, you had something here with where you were going with marketing and cybersecurity, your first win. I always like to ask individuals, like, when was the first win? Um, how did that come to be? And uh, the, the part B to that question is, how have things changed since that first win or realizing things are now working? What does that kind of make sense? Like what's the per yeah. first part and then what's the second part? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it definitely took a little while to get the, that first win. And I think that's always kind of the struggle for someone that's finding their, their, their business, you know, uh, unless you have a lot of good word of mouth contacts out there, which at the time we, we weren't really a referral based business. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of get that, that first win, as you put it. Um, and so really it was me writing a lot of blog posts on just a variety of different topics, looking at the marketplace and seeing, okay, well, where are the, the real deficits and where can I add value to that conversation? Um, so it really took about six to eight months before we had our, our first uh, real qualified lead come through. Um, and you know, they, uh, for what, what they needed was very specific. They needed a, a vulnerability assessment. So that's something you go, you, you run some tools, you scan their environment, you kind of learn what vulnerabilities are out there. And if, if your, your audience is probably familiar when you get those push notifications on, on like an Apple device, for example, you know, there's a new security um, update that needs to be made. Well, these vulnerabilities, they come out all the time. Um, the bad guys find these vulnerabilities and they try to exploit them to either, you know, in a lot of cases, try to get money from you. 
So um, our, our first client was a small business. Um, they were in kind of the educa online educational space. Um, you know, we started in 2019, so we closed that business within the same year. So that was that was pretty exciting. Um, and that really kind of fired things up for us. We're like, okay, this is actually a proof of concept. If we can land three clients, then we can land 100 clients. Not saying we'll get that overnight, but, you know, that's the that's the kind of the idea. And so how things have changed since then is I think the biggest thing for us is understanding processes. So if you don't have really clearly defined and efficient processes, you spend a lot of time either doing the same work over and over again, which maybe that can be templatized or you can bring that into a project management software um, to kind of streamline that, which we ended up incorporating. Um, and, and really, I think the biggest challenge for us was how do we go from a conversation with a lead, kind of understanding what their needs are, um, and then being able to fulfill that need without trying to stretch ourselves too thin. Um, a lot of our clients have very specific needs. Um, and in some cases, you know, they might be too small and we can't help them. Well, that was something that we didn't really figure out at the beginning. We just wanted to help everyone. We wanted to try and drive business as much as possible. Um, and so now we're a little bit more selective in, in that process where we, you know, if, if it's a really small shop, we'll say, Hey, look, you can, you can just buy this thing for $300 and you're, you're probably good. You're not, you don't need an, you don't need an actual consultant to help you out with that thing. Um, and then, you know, going into like our proposal processes, you know, that, that's, that's a big hurdle too, because you need to have someone that's, has a technical mindset that can actually scope out that, that solution based on the, the conversation. Um, and then, you know, the last part of that is actually closing that deal. Um, so understanding, you know, what do those follow-up processes look like? How can we kind of um, improve our win rate? How are we tracking those uh, clients that are, or those prospects that are coming into our, um, our funnel? Um, and then, you know, actually delivering the service was, was probably one of the easier parts of it because our, our guys know what to do, but it's kind of that in between. So, you know, our, or the maturity of our processes was a big focus for us. And I think that's where we saw the most improvement in, in, in the business overall. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And so when it comes to small businesses and cybersecurity, what does the landscape look like? Is it very proactive? Is it reactive? Has the market changed? What has it been like since, um, you know, getting into this industry? So it's a great question because I would say it's it's probably 99% of the time uh, reactive. So there's been a lot of things that have happened in the industry over the last five years. Uh, a lot of adoptions for vendors pushing um their clients to adopt specific security policies and have a certain level of security maturity. Um, that that kind of came out of um, a lot of breaches, like the SolarWinds breach was a really big one where it's called supply chain compromise, supply chain attacks, um, where an attacker will go after a provider who have a lot of downstream clients. Um, and they'll, they'll start, you know, at that provider level, and if they can compromise the provider, they can, you know, pretty much compromise all their clients. Uh, the MGM breach with Okta, um, that compromised all of Okta's client base, um, which was, you know, not not very pleasant for them. Um, uh, and and so you have the vendor component kind of putting pressure on it. 
you have insurance companies have started to become a little bit more wise to the game as well, because traditionally uh, the insurance providers came in again, maybe five years ago, and they're like, hey, we can make money off of this stuff. Well, they quickly learned that not every organization is apples to apples in their security. So what ended up happening was they took a lot of losses initially because they were just kind of underwriting everyone. And they'll, they'll say, okay, you got hit, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you out. Now, in the insurance game, you, the risk mitigation is, is to reduce payments to your clients. That's how the business model works. And so now we're seeing a lot of these insurance providers have a standard requirement in order to just ensure you of what security controls you need to have in place. And you not only that, but you have to prove to the provider that in the case of your, if you get attacked um, and you're trying to um, issue a claim, you have to actually prove that you've done the things that you said you were going to do. And those, those insurance providers are going to, you know, with a fine tooth comb, they're going to look through and they're going to say, oh, you didn't do this one thing that's within our policy. We can't, we're denying the claim. So those are, I think, are two of the big things. Um, and then uh, the third thing I would say, and it, it's, it's compliance, it's regulatory um, compliance. So, you know, if you're in healthcare, you have HIPAA. Um, if you're in the financial industry, the SEC has a lot of new rules and regulations that are coming out. Um, but the theme here is that if you're a small business and you can get away without paying for security and you're not being forced to do it, then that seems to be the trend. Or you get a lot of what I like to call DIY security. Again, you have that IT person. And and the analogy that I've used back in the day is, um, you know, in, in the late 90s, your AV guy would roll in with his cart and the, you know, the CTO would point at him and say, you're in charge of IT now. Well, we've kind of seen that paradigm shift here in the security space as well, where owners of organizations are saying, well, we, we have IT vendors for that, or we have an IT guy on staff. It's now your role to assume the entire landscape of security, which isn't, that's not the right approach. You know, there's lack of expertise um, within that. You know, there's, there's certain um, conflicts of interest that can also come into that, even internally at the organization. Your IT folks need to be more tactical, whereas you need to also have someone that understands risk management to the organization. What's your risk profile? How do we address those risks? What's our acceptable risks? You know, we're not going to spend a million dollars to secure a $5,000 laptop. You know, that value to the organization doesn't make sense. So unfortunately, it's very reactive. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I would point out is that security historically and even IT, um, it's, it's not viewed as a business enabler. It's not a revenue generating activity. Even though, you know, in IT, it promotes a lot of efficiencies in your business. With security, you need to have, if you're in compliance, you know, if you need some level of compliance requirements, um, you have to have that or else you lose contracts or you lose your ability to generate that revenue. Um, so historically, it's, it's very much seen as a cost to the organization and it doesn't traditionally get the investments that it needs. Mm, wow. I was going to ask, you know, it's definitely, it's not a, revenue generating on the the P&L but when you when you talk to small business owners is there a okay we need to have this and it's reluctancy or is how to, how do you sell against stuff like that or how do you go about telling them hey this is important you need to have this I, I mean in my mind it's like hey you could 
get a data breach or you, someone can get into your computers and it costs you millions. But I mean, is, do they see that? Is that something that you kind of have to coach them and sell them through? I think you have to coach them through it. And, you know, historically, security has, has been very much about fear mongering. And I think that doesn't necessarily get people to take action because you'll see that, you know, the average ransomware payments for uh, a small business is anywhere from a couple hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars. And it's not just the ransom demand. It's all of the time that goes into um, identifying the issue, resolving the issue. You have to get legal involved, your C-suite. If you've got customers, um, you know, from a communication standpoint, you need to be able to communicate to them. So there's a lot of different things that are involved in that. I think the biggest thing is just kind of educating them on risk. So um, I was talking to uh, a prospect on Monday. They're in the financial space. And um, again, you know, vulnerability management is something that there's new vulnerabilities that come out all the time. Um, and you have to resolve those vulnerabilities um, because what ends up happening is that's that's kind of your risk window. Um, the longer that vulnerability sits on your network or on your systems, it's it's an opportunity for that attacker to come in and exploit it. If it's an exploitable one, if it, you know, there's different uh, risk tolerances or scores to that. So you can have a critical vulnerability, you can have high, medium, low. Um, but I think the issue with that is that people tend to think, well, we only need to clear that the critical and high vulnerabilities when you know a low vulnerability on a printer, and I've, I've experienced this firsthand, a low vulnerability on a printer might exist and it kind of gets passed over, but that's the entry point that an attacker would use to compromise your network, deploy ransomware, and, and, and demand that ransom payment, lock you out of your systems. Um, so that, that's, that, that's ever present. So, and, and again, with this prospect, I asked them, you know, well, how often are you actually patching your systems? How often are you resolving those vulnerabilities? And the answer was, well, once a month, again, that's, you've got 30 day risk window where that vulnerability is live on your systems where an attacker can come in before you update that patch, update it with a patch and can wreak havoc on your system. So kind of addressing it from that perspective, you know, there, there's other examples too, like how your data, are you ingesting data from your clients? What kind of data are you ingesting? Is it personal identifiable information like social security number? Maybe it's payment information, you know, things like that. Um, or, you know, it could be uh, health information. So if you're in the healthcare space, if you're ingesting any type of that data, you need to have controls in place around that. And the biggest thing is, the majority of the, the the organizations that I speak to don't have that expert. They don't have that ex, that expertise in house. They have an IT guy who kind of understands it, but they're looking for someone to help them fill some of these deficits. So, um, but that's kind of the nature of things today. But again, I would I would kind of caution people with the the whole fear mongering because I think it's just it's a it's a trope at this time. People aren't responding to it. Yeah. You know, they're only doing things when they have to. How often is it happening right now? Is it happening every day? I guess because I'm not in the cybersecurity world. I mean, are, are these threats happening every day and these systems are just doing a good job of keeping them out? What's it like right now? Yeah, I mean, there there are breaches happening every single day. They get published, um, you know, Bleeping Computer and other publications out there. They're talking about that. Just this morning, I was talking to a friend of mine. Um, there was a, a ransomware attack on Romanian hospitals where 100 hospitals were shut down. They could not perform services at all because they were completely locked out of their systems. 
Now, I think what tends to happen is you see a lot of the high profile things hit the news. Um, you know, like the MGM Grand, I think Prudential's going through a pretty major breach right now. Um, and but but oftentimes what ends up happening is you don't see those smaller organizations hit the news cycle because they're just not as buzzy. They're not not as big of an impact, but they happen all of the time. And I've, I've spoken to other friends of mine who have their own uh, organizations. They do uh, more penetration testing. So they they go in there and they pretend to be the bad guy and they see, you know, how far can they get? And then they report on that and they provide recommendations or remediations to, to action. Um and there have been businesses that have been built on um, exploiting specific vulnerabilities, like the Eternal Blue vulnerability that's been out for over a decade now, where it just kind of sits there for that long of a time, and it's just a waiting game. Someone just needs to sniff out your network, find those vulnerabilities, um, and then you know exploit them, and you know it's, it's kind of game over from that point. Wow, what are what are your um, Jason? What are your competitors doing wrong? Like, what are they doing wrong in the marketplace that you wish that they may not be doing? Is it the fear mongering? Is it the type of things that you guys do different? What is it that um, that they're doing wrong? I think from a marketing perspective, they're not focused on building communities. They're not focused on creating value. Um, and again, like I would say, you know, the majority of people in security aren't targeting the SMB marketplace because there's historically there's not really a lot of money in that. They they want to focus on you know organizations that are a little bit larger or have more specific needs um, where they'll need more robust security controls in place. So again, like I mentioned, if you're ingesting any type of data, um, something like that, like a healthcare provider or someone that builds applications. Um, that might make sense. But if you're, you know, a 50 person lawn care company, you know, you don't need as much security. There's standard things you can kind of get away with. But the issue with that is you're not talking thousands of dollars in monthly retainers. You're talking, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars a year is what they're trying to get out of it. So from that perspective, I think, you know, they're not trying to add value to the marketplace. They're just trying to sell their stuff and hope that it hits. Um, from a technical perspective, I think it's very much uh, the traditional managed security route that they that they take. And so what that looks like is they'll sell you a stack of resold, bundled solution products. So they're not actually building out their own solutions, which, you know, that that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but on top of that, so you're, you're, you're starting to pay like a couple hundred dollars per user or per device. And if you've got 50 plus devices or maybe even 10 devices or something like that, you know, that that's going to start eating at the bottom line. And then again, you need someone to actually manage that solution. So on top of that, the the technical um, software and, and, and those capabilities, you also need an expert to come in there and and run those, those services for you, maintain them, update them and, and things like that. Um, and so what ends up happening is you just completely price yourself out of the marketplace. And so that traditional path, you know, where you could easily spend fifty, hundred thousand dollars on those types of solutions, because that's just what it takes. You know, people aren't cheap in this industry. Um, I think a, a, a solid security person can go from anywhere between one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars annually, and that's not even talking about um, having like a more senior level, like a CISO, 
a chief information security officer where they can command salaries of $250,000 plus. So it doesn't really make sense for you to hire that internally. You can go find vendors to do that. The other thing that I would mention is that um, traditionally, uh, service providers just throw bodies at the problem. And, you know, hands on keyboard, you know, you're going to have, um, you know, maybe your entire footprint is for security company might be 20, 50 people. Well, you can kind of see how that's going to eat into your margin. So it's going to uh, eat into your, and, and that's going to trickle downstream to the cost for the client. Um, so many of them aren't leveraging um, automation to the fullest extent that they can. They're kind of stuck in old processes and they, they, they don't really kind of understand how to make that shift over. Um, and then with the adoption of AI, uh, that's your opportunity to bring in, um, you know, enhancements to your overall security. So instead of having five, a team of five people service 20 different clients through automation, machine learning, AI, you can have maybe one person service that same number of clients. So that's where you got to get those competitive advantages. Um, and to my knowledge, there's there's no one out there really creating a holistic security package um, for um, for small businesses. That's you know in a well priced point um, for both the business to operate and for the small business to actually um, pay for. Wow, that's interesting. I. Um... This whole cybersecurity and AI is something that I've had some conversations with, and now that we have an expert on the on here on the show, what what is AI doing to the cybersecurity world? How do you see it? Um, and then how quickly is it changing? Uh, just define a little bit about how you're seeing AI right now. So, just a disclaimer: I'm definitely not an AI. Uh, security expert, but I, I do speak to a lot of them because it's an interesting topic of focus. What I will say is that I think AI security right now is the Wild West. No one really has a good solution for it. No one really kind of understands what its implications are. There are plenty of people out there that are speaking to it um, and and kind of have a better grasp around you know what we should do. But what we should do and what we can do are two different things. So what I will say is, first and foremost, I think AI is going to change the, the workforce as we see it today. I was actually speaking to another CEO. He, he's developing uh, an AI-powered penetration testing tool built on custom-made GPTs. And so, um, again, you know, your traditional route of doing that is you have to have a guy hands-on keyboard or gal hands-on keyboard and uh, actually performing that test. Those people, $120,000, $150,000 a year. Well, with these solutions, they can, you know, deploy this into your network, they can push a button, and it does the pen test automatically. So there's efficiencies in doing something like that. But what does that mean for the security workforce as a whole? Well, I think that means that your traditional path of how you get into security is going to change fundamentally. I think people are going to have more, are going to place more of an emphasis on your AI skill sets. So going beyond writing like a basic business email um, using GPT in that, that case, but, you know, actually learning how to code with it, how to improve your code, you know, those things I think are going to give you a much stronger position in the marketplace. Um, the other thing that I'll say is that security is, is kind of inundated with uh, certifications. So 
uh, I have kind of mixed feelings on this because, you know, there, there's the traditional red team and blue team side of security. On the red team, you're trying more penetration side, uh, testing side. You're trying to break into systems. You're, you're trying to prove value in that way. Um, you can go layers deeper where red teaming, you're trying to emulate a, a particular threat actor using their, their attack paths and signatures to try and break in. Uh, so there's 1,200 plus certifications for red teaming. Right or or for for the red side of thing of security, and then on the blue side is more defensive security. You know, analyzing logs. You know, having your network defenses, things like that, um, and beyond that, maybe risk management and, and others. Um, you know, there's 1,200 different certifications for that as well. So what do what do you do? Which ones do you take? Which ones are valuable? And then you have to pay for it, and then there's annual fees on top of that. So. What's missing in that is actually application of skill sets. So you're not you're you have all of this knowledge, but you're not able you have you don't have experience actually applying that knowledge. Um, so that that's kind of another shift in things. I think AI is still very much in its infancy. We're still trying to understand it, but I think at some point, maybe within the next year, maybe two. You're going to see just a giant spike. Things are going to change dramatically in how we we use AI, and and you know we're gonna we're gonna discover naturally better use cases for it where we're we're kind of in the stone age of things today. Uh, and and I just think um, security professionals need to start to sharpen up their skill sets to learn how to leverage that because that's exactly what the bad guys are going to do. They're going to find efficiencies, you know. You, they're they're looking for the easy payday. They're looking to automate their processes. They've already done that. They don't have 20, 30 hackers. Sometimes it can be a team of one to four people that are breaking into multi-billion dollar organizations. So, you know, that's kind of the key thing to understand. And again, layering this all on the fact that it's the Wild West right now. People really don't have a strong understanding. There aren't really good frameworks developed for it yet. Um, but they'll definitely come down the line. Yeah, I totally agree with you about being the Wild West. And I, I heard something, and it keeps showing up on episodes that I'm doing, and because it's always leading back to AI. And there's this this common thread of, well, you know, AI is going to replace everyone. It's going to replace all these things. And it, I just don't believe that's the case. I believe that people that utilize AI and take advantage of how it works, those are the people that are going to pass up the people that are reluctant to use AI. Because AI, I believe, is such a great framework practice that you can help with processes and systems. And um, I've, I've seen that in our own businesses with growth and sales and lead generation. And so I think it's just a, such an important thing that is here to stay. It's like the Internet. Like people that didn't want to talk about the Internet and they said they weren't going to change, like they got passed up. And I think that's kind of where we are with AI. Yeah, and just, just to kind of piggyback on that, you know, I've, Right when, you know, GPT mania came out last year, um, you know, I was talking with a lot of business partners and friends in the space and just trying to kind of conceptualize this, get my head around things. And so we kind of finalized, you know, for PurpleSec, you know, we want to work smarter, faster and better. So it's it's not the idea of replacing you as the human. You're always going to need that human interaction. But how do you do things better? How do you do things faster and how do you work smarter so that you can actually focus on less of the mundane tasks? And in security, that's kind of where a lot of folks start out in. You know, if you're working in a security operations center, you're monitoring logs all day, 
know, it's a very tedious work. Same thing with vulnerability management. You're looking at rows, tens of thousands of rows of spreadsheets. How do you take the individual out of that process, give some influence to the machines, to a sense, I mean, it sounds a little iRobot, but you give some influence to it, but then you have the person, you know, the, actually reviewing and making final decisions. And then what does that do for the individual? Well, that frees up their time to work on the strategy. It frees up their time to work on more impactful things for the organization where you have your kind of business as usual work that you still have to get done. But if you have that support from uh, from that technology, leverage that so that then you can work on those um, higher level order of work that are going to drive more success for the business that align with leadership. I love that. Yep. I love it. Well, as we, as we wind down, we've had a, I mean, I feel like I could continue on for another three hours, like we talked about in the pre-show with Joe Rogan because AI and cybersecurity, but talk about, um, PurpleSec a little bit. And people are listening to this right now. They're a small business owner. They, no cybersecurity is important and they just kind of feel like they're at the tipping point of like, oh, should I do it? I don't, nothing's happening right now. Um, what what would you say to that business owner right now that um, is maybe on the, the fence about cybersecurity and they haven't invested in it or why they should? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you have to have an honor, honest conversation with yourself and with your business partners and, and kind of understand what you don't know. Um, if, if you're an organization that's, again, kind of dealing with a lot of sensitive proprietary information, um, if, if you kind of are, are in this court of, well, we, we can figure it out, we're not going to pay for it type of thing, it always helps to kind of get someone's outside perspective to help you out. So one of the things that we do is we have um, virtual CISO services. So that's, you know, again, we talked about this earlier, where having that full-time person at the organization really doesn't make sense, both from a cost perspective and from a time commitment. You know, you're not going to have someone sitting 40 hours a week for, for a small business, you know, addressing risk in that perspective. But um, with us, you know, you get someone that's been in the industry <clears throat> for, for 20 plus years. They understand the risks. They know how to create a roadmap for you. And I think that's the most important thing. It's like a lot of people that, that come to us, they, they have very specific goals. I, you know, again, we talked about this earlier with reacting to security. We have these very specific goals. These are the boxes that we need to check. Um, and we're good because we checked the boxes. Well, that's actually not truly the case. Just because you check the box and you've done the bare minimum doesn't necessarily you're doing everything that the business needs to do to be secure. So having that outside perspective to help you kind of navigate through that, create a two to three year roadmap, because we know that you, you shouldn't do everything at once because most people can't. And that's okay. Let's create a roadmap. Let's figure out, you know, the highest priorities. Let's let's get that down. Let's figure out the solutions that need to be implemented. We help you walk you through that process. And then we go in and we start that journey of implementation. And through that process, I think um, you definitely strengthen your organization's security posture as a whole versus doing something yourself or kind of doing it ad hoc. Um but even if you are on the fence, I think the best place to start, whether you're going with a vendor or not, is one, pick a framework. Whether it's CIS Top 18, whether it's HIPAA compliance, whether it's ISO 27000, um, pick a framework that basically 
walks you through and says, these are all of the security controls that you need to have in place. Um, and then you start working through that. Have security policies developed that align with that framework. And what security policies are is just, it's basically a roadmap of, here's what my password protection policy is. It needs to have this many characters in length. It has to be this level of complexity. We need to rotate our passwords on this frequency. You know, it, it basically is the guide rails that define what you should do in certain situations and how your organization does it. Have those security policies in place, have that framework in place and start working towards it. When you feel like you're starting to get out of your depth, I almost promise you that you're always going to find more value in seeking a professional's expertise because later down the line, you don't want to have that come back to you, whether it's a breach or whether you know your vendor's coming to you and you're kind of scrambling to the final hour to submit reports or something like that. Um, that level of assurance is just worth the time and effort to invest in so that you have that that perspective, you have that assurance that you know you're doing all of the things right and you know that, you're cons- that your organization as a whole has considered all of the risks. That oh, that's so good. I love that. And I hope some small business owners or people that are interested in cybersecurity or that they need cybersecurity, I hope that that landed with them. Um, where, Jason... Can people find you, contact you, work with you? Tell the listeners a little bit about uh, where they can locate that. Yeah, um, if you want to go to our website, it's uh, purplesec.us. You can also reach me at jason at purplesec.us. Best place to reach me if you want to just have a conversation um, is on LinkedIn. Just look me up. I don't know too many other Jason Furches out there, um, but I'm, I'm pretty active on that. And I'm always trying to provide value to the community. Um, you know, it's, um, I don't want to sell you anything unless you want to be sold to, but I'll definitely give you my time and, and perspective if it's all. I love that. Jason, thank you so much for giving our audience your time. I know cybersecurity is a topic that is on everyone's mind right now when it comes to keeping everything safe. And so this has been valuable. I know it will be to the audience. And again, thank you for your time, your energy, and look forward to posting this episode and the clips for you to use. And hopefully it's going to add some value to the audience. I hope so, too. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, Jason. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Equipped Podcast. Like I say at the end of every episode, do us a favor and scroll all the way down to the bottom if you're on Apple and go and give us a five-star rating and a five-star review and go follow Jason and all that he has going on and contact him if you need his services. Jason, thanks again for being on the show, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Equipped Podcast. Do me a favor. Go to Apple, scroll all the way to the bottom, give us a five-star rating and a five-star review. Better yet, share this with someone that you think it would add value to. And if you think you would be a good guest on the Equipped Podcast, shoot me an email at lane at goprospect.com. That's L-A-N-E at G-O-P-R-O-S-P-E-X.com. Until next time, see you guys.